0: Good morning. Glad to see everybody. I think we're going to have to, if we're back here in a few weeks, we're going to have to pull out more chairs. That's okay. It's good. Uh, Sorry about a little technical difficulty this morning with new space. We have no idea why there was like hieroglyphics at the top of the screen. So uh, we'll get that straight as we go. Um, Man, it's good to be here. Uh, Grateful that you guys braved the the torrential downpours this morning, so to speak. By downpours, I mean the drizzle drizzle. Uh, Somebody asked us this morning, like if we're going back to Guatemala, hopefully we get to go back this year. And um, I think Bama reminded me, he's like, man, this is what it did every day while we were there. And it was. They called it chippy-chippy. And so it did, like it chippy-chippied every single day. So if you want to go to Guatemala, keep your ears open. Hopefully we'll get to go back this year. Um, miss those folks and would love to, to be back in person. Uh, we are in our series in Mark this week. Um, Zach did a great job last week of talking about what, um, the ways that Jesus described the kingdom in parable. And today, we are out of parables for the first time in about four weeks. And so, neat to be back here today. And so, uh, in Mark, Mark kind of records things a little bit differently. Mark was probably the first recorded gospel as far as chronologically. And so, he didn't, he didn't go into the Sermon on the Mount in great detail the way that Matthew did. Uh, Matthew's book has very Jewish overtones. Uh, and so, Mark does it just slightly differently. But today, like where we are, it's probably towards the tail end of that. Uh, He's come down from the mountain because it was literally a sermon on the mount. Like I said at one point, man, I'd love to preach from a boat. That would be cool. I'd love to preach from the side of a mountain. That would be pretty cool too. Um, Those are like two of my favorite things. But anyway, uh, so he's coming down from the mountain. And today, like, man, I love this because we're leaving like verbal parables. But I'll go ahead and tell you, like today what we get to see is like a parable being lived out. And, and it's such a neat thing, just the way that it falls in the book of Mark. And so, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, um, starting in verse 35. But I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right in. And also, I wanted to throw this out there before we get started. Uh, We've got a couple people in our family that are sick or battling through some stuff right now. Like, uh, John Stockham was supposed to lead worship this morning, and he texted yesterday. He's like, man, the virus has landed in our house And stuff's being expelled. And so as a result of that, they are sick. And so pray for the Stocklands. And then also Neil Culler, one of our elders, he had back surgery this week on Wednesday. And so they kind of drilled a hole through one of his vertebrae and and cut through a little fascia to get rid of a disc that had herniated and was putting pressure on some nerves. And, you know, Neil was hoping he'd be that guy to wake up in the recovery room and the pain would be gone. Because, you know, you hear those stories all the time. Total hips, total knees, yeah, the pain was gone. That's not him. Like, he's in pain uh, his leg is hurting, uh, you know, it would be easy to get discouraged right now, so we want to pray against that. Pray for God to heal, pray for God to steal his heart, steal his mind, do all of that. And so that's Neil. If you know Neil, you love Neil, um, and if you don't know Neil, you need to. Uh, Lindsay's here somewhere today, but, you know, we're not going to make her feel awkward by standing up or anything. There she is. So anyway, don't look back at her. Just stop right now. Um, but we're going to pray together, and then we'll, we'll jump right in. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us through your word, in your word, and to your word. God, thank you that we get to look at it and, and live by it as a means of becoming more and more like Jesus. Thank you for the way that the Spirit interacts, um, that drives your words into our hearts so that it may come out. Uh, God, today we pray for some of our families, the Stocklands. We pray that they would bounce back quickly and the virus would leave their home rapidly and leave them rapidly. Uh, and God, in the name of Jesus, we ask for that. And for, for Neil, uh, my buddy and my brother, uh, pray for healing. Pray that he would feel better and better as the days go by and that the surgery would not have been... Uh, an exercise in futility, but it would be realized to be uh, a good move. Thank you for the preparation of the doctors and the staff who put so much time into learning their craft, and God, thank you that you even heal through that. Um, And so, God, we pray that Neil uh, would remember your faithfulness, and God, uh, you would display it on him richly and, and in a very public manner for your glory. We love you, we thank you, and it's in your son's name we pray, amen. And so today, in chapter 4, verse 35, to get us caught up a little bit, the disciples, uh, they, they could be formally called disciples at this point. Uh, they have been walking with Jesus for a while now. Um, and so they've seen him do a lot of things. They've heard him say a lot of things. They've seen him heal. They've seen him exercise demons. They've seen him speak with authority that a, a carpenter from Nazareth should not have. And by all regards, they have seen this God with skin on do some amazing things. Things and and they had been like first hand witnesses. They weren't hearing of someone else tell it. No, they got to see it with their own eyes, hear it with their own ears, sometimes touch it with their own hands, perceive it with their own hearts. They had been with Jesus and been serving him, been following him, been learning with him. And over the past couple of days, probably, they had heard him teach. From the mountain, uh, in parable and in literal form, talk about things like, what does the kingdom of God look like? Uh, you know, you start with something so small and God grows something amazing and it's God that grows it, not us. But we labor, we till the soil, we plant the seed and God does great things with that. And also before that, they had heard that, you know, there's, there's four types of seeds and, and where it's, how it grows is dictated by where it lands and very often that rests on the farmer. Like, what have they done with their soil? Where did they cast the seed? And so they had been listening to him teach. And then we find them in chapter 4, verse 35, and it says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. We'll read the rest in just a minute. But after all of this had been done, after all the teachings, maybe another potential healing in between if we read the rest of the Gospels. Um, he said, Look, the Sea of Galilee right here. We need to go to the other side, so let's get in the boat and let's go. That was the plan. That was the plan. He's like, let's all of us. It was more than one boat. He was like, let's all of us just go, kind of a boat caravan kind of a deal, and let's cross the Sea of Galilee. Amongst Jesus' 12 at this point, there were four professional fishermen. Like, by professional, I mean more hours on the water than I've ever spent. And I consider myself to be an avid fisherman. Like, I, you know, my happy place is being waist deep in a river with waders on where your toes are just slightly starting to go numb. That's perfect. Like, that's good. Um, And or in a boat and just fishing, like I love those times. And so, but these guys had spent way, way more time and been paid to do it. So professional fishermen by trade. And so let's read about what happens on that day. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was asleep, or he was in the stern, the back of the boat, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea, saying, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great, great calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear or awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Probably one of my favorite just, man, like you, you can't get a better physical illustration sometimes than this story, the way that it plays out. Because again, he had been teaching in parables, you know, for, for several days on end. They'd been hearing so much in parables about love, about marriage, about the kingdom of God, about the seeds and how we sow and how we prep the soil, all of that stuff. But then, whether they knew it or not, they got to live one out, to live a parable out. And so basically, just kind of to to recap very quickly, like if this was a parable, like if this was written as a parable, this is what it it would sound like. There were some guys, and they needed to go across the lake. And with the guys, there was a captain of the sea. He controlled it all. Captain of the sea said that we need to go across. So they got in a boat, and they started digging in with their oars, going across or using the sails, however they did. And all of a sudden, a windstorm arose. Now, among these men were four very seasoned sailors and fishermen, and they were scared out of their minds. The waves were crashing over the boat. The boat was filling with water, and they feared we're going to sink, we're going to drown. And then they remembered that the captain of the sea, the captain, was on the boat. He was in the back of the boat, asleep. And they woke the captain. They said, Captain, my captain, to steal from another author. They said, Do you not care? We're going to drown. And he said, Do you not know who I am? And at that moment, calm, peace. And the men looked at the captain, and they were like, whoa, who is this guy? They lived out a parable. They lived out a parable in this moment. And most of the time when we look at this story, when we read this story, we focus on one thing. We, we focus on this idea that, that Jesus spoke and everything stopped. And that's miraculous. Why? Because it's a miracle. Like, it's amazing to see that this Jesus, this God with skin on, in a moment could make all the wind stop, could make all the waves stop, could just, with a word, say peace or calm. And it happened. Like, that's our, our eyes are drawn to that. Our heart is drawn to that. But understand, in a parable, like if we're teaching this as a parable, looking at it as a parable, there's always a potential for more than one eternal truth to rest in a parable. And in this place, in the context of what Jesus was doing, because by the way, Jesus had men following him. They were his disciples. They were learners of him, followers of him, gleaning from him what they could so that they could be released and do what he has done. There's a few more eternal truths that we need to look at. So I I will point out, like, I think we read this, and we think a couple of things. Like, on the outset, we're like, man, how silly could these guys be to be so afraid at this moment of a storm? I mean, Jesus was with them. Well, like I said, I've been on the water a pretty good bit, and I feel like I know the ways of the ocean, which I don't. That's a stupid thing to say. That's when you drown. But I was out uh, shrimping with some buddies a couple years ago. We were outside of Hilton Head, and, like, it was this, you know, it was November, and it was a good time to shrimp. Everything looked just... Right, and so we were with a buddy of mine who had inherited his boat from his dad, and he had been shrimping with his dad all of this time, and he had his dad's shrimp poles. They were very special, these fiberglass poles that you stick in the mud, and then you throw bait balls out, and you go and you throw a cast net to collect shrimp. I'd been with him months before, and we did great. Filled up two coolers, slam full. We ate shrimp for a long time. My cholesterol could probably attest to it then. Um, but either way, this time we went out, and we went, and, and you know, you look, and we had found a place to where the water shallowed up just right and the currents were pushing onto this mud bank and we placed all of our shrimp poles, our bait poles, like 10 of them. And we were looking around and we were waiting. We had had lunch after we had put the poles down and threw out the bait balls and we were just waiting for the shrimp to gather so that we could drive by, throw the cast net, collect them. We made a couple passes, like maybe 50 shrimp. We're like, man, this is really weird. It's strange. You know, normally it should be like a net full and you should start filling your cooler, make two, three passes, be done wasn't happening. And, and when we got out there too, we looked around, there were a lot of boats. Like we were surrounded a lot of other people trying to shrimp that night too. And then for some reason we looked around, all the boats were gone. We're like, man, that's weird. It didn't dawn on us yet that something was wrong. The shrimp weren't there, the boats weren't there. And then all of a sudden it's like someone took the thermostat and just went, turned it down. The temperature bottomed out. It went from like mid-60s to like low 50s. And we're like, man, that's, that's weird too. And then in the distance we see this huge flash Apparently, lightning had struck a transformer on the the shore a good little ways away, and we're like, man, that's weird. We're dumb. And then it was just like someone literally just took a lever and said, calm to crazy chaos, and it just turned on. And like I've never been at the point to where I was afraid of like dying in the water. Like I've been in some storms, but I, you know, and I'll put my graphite rods down because God and I have an agreement. I'm not gonna swing nine feet of graphite in the air while there's lightning and thunder around. But at this point I'm in a boat, and the thought did cross my mind. I don't think that I ever thought I'm gonna die, but I was like, I don't think we're gonna make it in. Like, not gonna happen. And then my buddy, who, you know, inherited his father's boat, inherited his father's bait poles, he was like, We've got to get the poles. And I'm like, bro, we're going to die. He's like, we got to get the poles. We can't leave the poles. And so I'm laying across the bow, my feet locked under the railing, reaching, and he's gunning it to the poles. And I grab him, and he just guns it as we pull the poles out of the mud, and then we stick them in the boat. And he's like, got to get the poles. I'm like, we're going to die, but we'll get your poles. Either way, that night, five minutes to get out, two and a half hours to get back to the landing. And, and that night, like, I thought I, thought I was going to die. My natural response was like, man, this storm is bigger than me. It's going to crush us. This boat, as awesome as it is, is, as awesome as it is, way better than a wooden boat. Like, it's going to fill up with water. We're going to capsize. We're going to be washed into the marsh and wander around for days and be eaten by hermit crabs. Like, we're going to die. You know, those are the thoughts that go through your head when you're freezing. You don't have any rain gear. The, The boat literally is filling up with water, although you have an electric bilge pump, which is way better. But anyway, like, that was that. This particular night, these professional fishermen, they had lived on the water. Like, there were probably nights that they spent all night on the water just to catch fish so that they could sell them, so that they could make their money, make their living, feed their families, not with fish, but with money. Like, that's what they did, and they were scared out of their minds. Most of the time, we read this story, and we're like, man, you silly disciples. Didn't you know better? No, this storm was bad. It was legit. It was real, to the point to where four professional fishermen were like, hey, we're going to die. We're going to die. And so amongst all of this, they're experiencing something that all of us as disciples are going to experience at some point, some fashion, somewhere or another. You may be there right now, and it's fear, like legitimate fear. And it's interesting because if we think about the process that they had been through over the past several months, up to a, a year and a half for a few of these guys, they had been walking with this man, Jesus, this God with skin on. They had seen him do some crazy Crazy things. They had seen him heal leprosy. They had seen him tell a man to outstretch his crippled hand. They had seen him confront religiosity. They had seen him speak with authority he should not possess. They had seen him have people with demons living in them and him just speak a word and they take off and run. They had seen it all. But in this moment, they were scared out of their minds. They were scared out of their minds. We will guaranteed, we will be guaranteed at some point as we follow Jesus. To encounter fear like that. And I would love to turn fear into an acronym, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not that catchy. But, but I do think about what we see with these guys, and this is what I think happens. Because he, te- he says to them just a, a very pointed thing. This, is also can be, this also can be found in the book of Matthew and also the book of Luke. The wording is very similar but slightly different. But he looks at them, and as they turn to him and as they say, um, in verse 33, we'll start there. It says, pardon me, um, we'll start in verse 39. And it says, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, after them calling him out, and he said, peace. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? The other gospel writers may say, why is your faith so small or owe you of little faith? Faced with fear, what happened to their faith? What was it? This is what fear can do. Fear can just absolutely make us forget make us forget. In the midst of just being threatened with our life, our livelihood, our health, our family, whatever it may be, whatever is coming at us, whatever it is that is threatening something to us the special, fear has the chance to make us forget. And in the case of the disciples and in the case of us, I think that there are potentially four things that it can make us forget. I think the first is that it can easily make us forget God's previous provision. God's previous It can easily make us forget the track record that we have with God. If we've been following Jesus for a while, then we've seen God do things. Number one, he brought us from death to life, turned us from aliens to him to family with him, made him sons and daughters, heirs with Christ. Like in, in the midst of great fear, if our faith is like he pointed out to the disciples, oh you of little faith, or your faith is small, if that is us in the face of fear, it's very likely it can occur with us that this fear will make us forget the things that God has done previously. With the disciples, man, they had an immediate track record with Jesus. Like, they had seen him do these things just days previous, just months and and weeks previous. They would seen him do amazing things that defied logic, that defied nature, that defied all of these things. Yet their fear in that moment was so great, they immediately forgot. They forgot all of those things. And I can can probably bet and put money in the bank that if you've been following Jesus for a while, you've experienced it too. In the middle of something that's unexpected, in the middle of something that you, you definitely did not see coming, and it was rough and it was bad, maybe it was sickness, maybe it was the sickness of someone in your family, maybe it was destruction of a relationship, maybe it was loss of income, loss of a house. These are the things that we experience in America right now as a result of our faith. Like, maybe we didn't see it coming and it landed on us, and we were just so afraid that we forgot. There were so many other times that God came through in super similar situations, that he came through. We forget that he miraculously like, redeemed us, something that shouldn't be possible, on my own accord, under my own power, that he redeemed me and made me family, reconciled me to himself by grace through faith. We forget that. We forget his previous provision in the midst of fear. Because our faith, our faith maybe is just, man, it's flickering. It's just not, not there. We'll get to that in a minute. The second thing that we forget very often Uh, in the midst of fear of our fate that's flickering and not quite there, man, we forget that God's actually with us. Like, they forgot God's very presence, that Jesus was in the boat. It says that he was in the stern, like near the rudder, asleep on a cushion. Like, he was right there. Very often in the midst of whatever uh, scares us to death or derails us or pushes us off, we forget that Jesus' word has told us, like, look, I want you to go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you to do, and I will be with you through it all. He also said it's going to be far better when I leave you because when I leave you, speaking of bodily resurrection, uh, in my place will come the Holy Spirit and He will actually dwell inside of you. He will not just walk beside you or be in the boat with you. He will actually reside in you. The temple will change from a building and structure built by hands to a structure built by God. And the Spirit of God will actually reside in you. In the face of fear and in dwindling faith, very often we forget that And God said, I will be with you through it all. And that's what fear does when faith is flickering. I'm serious. They were living a parable right now. Because Jesus was literally in the same boat. His cushion was probably floating. He was on a waterbed. He was right there. They forgot his provision. They forgot his presence. In verse 35, like if we... Go back to where it started. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us, us being all y'all and me, let us, the collective, go across to the other side. In the midst of fear with dwindling or weak or small faith, they not only forgot his provision and his presence, they actually forgot his direction. His direction. They forgot that he said, let us go to the other side. Let us, the collective, you, me, we, we're all going to get in the same boats, go to the same place. They had forgot that this God who hung the stars, who created the earth, who created the seas, who created them, had a plan and a direction set and a destination set. And he said, we are going to that place in the midst of fear. They forgot. They forgot. How many times, man, and this is like the summer camp experience, right? Like, I don't know if you grew up in the church and you went to to summer church camp. I'm a huge fan because I believe that it can be a mountaintop experience that will get us through the valleys, to get us over another mountain, through another valley, great times. But you leave summer camp and you heard from God like you were on a mountain really, really close. You sang great songs. You heard great speakers. you, You did things around a campfire, you know, just good stuff. And you heard God speak, but then you get home and things just aren't quite the same. And you forget that you heard from God and God said, I want you to be my emissary in your school. I want you to be my emissary in your workplace. I want you to be my spokesperson, my mouthpiece. But you get back and you're just like, ah, you said you wanted me to go to this place, but I'm, I just choose to forget. As adults, we do the same thing. As adults, we do the same thing. Maybe there's a day that you sat in a worship service or in a small group or maybe it was during your quiet time. Um, maybe, it, you know, like I soap every day, you know, almost every day. And, and there are days in which God speaks to me in like multiple lines on a page. But it's so easy, even as adults, like we clearly hear from God, like God saying, I want you to do this, I want you to say this to this person, I want you to interact this way on this day, just like this, because sometimes specificity is the language of God, don't discount it, and the very next day we forget that God said, I want you to go here and I'm going to go with you, because things just aren't exactly right. In the midst of fear and in flickering faith, they also forgot that God had set a path. He had set a direction. And he said, we are going. We collectively are going to the other side. They saw the wind. They saw the waves. They saw the boat filling up and the buckets they were using to bail it out. And they forgot that a destination was set by a sovereign savior who wanted to redeem a world. They forgot. We do too. We do too. The fourth thing. And this is, this is probably the, the one that stings. Like, <laughs> really. In verse 36, it says, But he was in the stern, the back of the boat, asleep on a cushion. And they roused him, they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? Now, in the moment, like, to be honest... Like, this isn't a parable. This is real life, okay? So we're not looking for metaphorical meaning entirely. But, but I think probably in the moment, based on some other things that we see, they're probably saying, hey, uh, would you like to wake up and steer the boat? Or how would you like to pick up a paddle and start doing something? Because right now, we're going down with the ship. But it was the first part of that question. They said, do you not care? This is the most dangerous aspect flickering faith in the face of fear it makes us actually forget the heart of God like yeah we forget his provision yes we forget his presence we forget his direction but somewhere in the midst of it and Satan just has a party when this occurs we forget the heart of God is for his people Like it broke and it bled and it spilled out on the cross for his people. How is it that fear in the moment, as bad as it can be, no matter the circumstance, can literally take the life of a believer who has hedged our bets all entirely on the cross, the life, the words, and the resurrection of Jesus and ask him in a moment, do you not care that I'm floundering? Do you not care that my boat is filling with water? Do you really not care? How is it that fear can be so crazy? but it can, and it has, and it's okay to reason with God, but understand, like if we read this entire story, like the best that we can, there's nowhere in here where there's room to question, God, do you, do you even care? Like from the outset of the relational exchange of breathing pneumo into life to someone, like that relational exchange of breathing life into man from dirt He cared from not wiping us out of existence when we sinned in the garden. He cared from creating a plan that we could not orchestrate in the form of himself putting on skin to come and live in the face of temptation and be sinless and hang on a cross and die, conquer death on my behalf because I could not beat sin, kick it in the teeth, and raise from the grave. There's no way that we can deny he cares. As a matter of fact, his heart is on display in this man who's in the back of the boat asleep right now. Do you not care but fear makes us forget fear makes us forget when our faith is flickering now granted we, we read all of this and we're like man you silly silly disciples but I do have to ask and this is not an indictment on any of us but how different will we have been like in the midst of all of this what, what would we have done would our questions have been much different? Would our doubts have been much different? Would our words have been much different? This would be the hope. Like, if, again, if their faith was small, forget all of these things. But, but it does beg the question, what if their faith wasn't small? What if their faith had been, like, mature and grown? Because, again, they had been following Jesus for a little while, but what if they'd been following him longer? What, what might have looked like? And it's hard to ask these questions sometimes. I'm not trying to be, you know, like, eisegetical, read into Scripture, but, but here's what I think. There's probably two potential outcomes. Number one, and this is a crazy one, they would have just kept paddling and just kept bailing. You're like, that's it? That's it. I think very often in the face of what Jesus is called to do when we believe his words and his direction and his promises, it doesn't mean that if we have big faith the storms aren't going to come. It doesn't mean that at all. Because if we were teaching the prosperity gospel today, like, and we're not, but if we were, and please nobody quote me and take me out of context, but if we were teaching the prosperity gospel, what we would say is in a nice, more billowing voice is, hey, if you believe, nothing bad's going to happen. Here's the problem with that. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's Satan trying to get you to doubt the existence of God. When you choose to follow Jesus and something bad happens, you're like, well, he must not love me. He must not be real, so I'm going to go back to the way that I was. That, that's a lie. Because if we look at the life of the disciples, we look at the life of Jesus. Jesus was completely in tune with God. He was completely obedient with God. He actually loosened himself, canoe himself, in obedience to God, even death on the cross, so storms came. And he was the most obedient, obedient example that we'll ever have, the most faithful example that we will ever have, 100% God, 100% man. And I would call the cross a storm, persecution a storm. You look at the life of the disciples, every one of them. Man, they faithfully followed Jesus, most of them to their end, with the exception of one. All of them were martyred, except one. And they still chose to follow Jesus. Just this week, I'm reminded of our fellow believers in China. Like, we're watching these amazing Olympics with close-up camera shots, and we're forgetting that the rest of China doesn't look like that. And we're reminded that the Chinese government is rewriting the Bible so that it matches their communistic ideals. And if someone doesn't want to submit to that, then they can just go to prison until they rot and die. Storms will come. They will come. They are guaranteed to come because we live in a broken world. We are redeemed people living in a broken world. Storms will come. And our choice is to, God, do you not even care, believe the lie, or keep on rowing. Keep on paddling. Keep on bailing. And remember all of these things that we could potentially forget. We do remember God's previous provision. He's taken care of me. Up until now, He's he's taken care of me. Might not have been the way that I designed, but I'm still here. May have hit a truck in October, but I'm still here. (laughs) God's presence. He's never left us. He's never forsaken us. If we have, by grace through faith, released our previous sin and chosen him instead, he's never left. He's not going anywhere. A time when his presence feels very small, that's usually on us, not on him. So we choose not to believe those lies. We choose to remember that he set a direction in place. He said, look, I want you to go. Be my disciple and make disciples. You go, you do that. Storms may come, but you just keep on going. You keep on paddling. You keep on bailing. And then we remember that his heart is not just for us, but it's for all people. And it's never wavered. It's never faltered. There's never a glimmer of God. Do you not love me? Of course he loves his kids. Look at all that he's done, all that he's doing, the way that he has worded creation for his glory and our good. Working together for good, all of those who love him called according to his purpose, like, yes, he loves us. And sometimes that means if we are, man, if our faith is growing, our faith is in a place of maturity and still going up, We just keep paddling. We keep rowing. And I'll be honest, this might not be prosperity gospel either, and I'm okay with that. We may reach the other side or we may die. But it's okay. And you say, what? Yep, it's okay. If all of those guys would have drowned in the service of the king, they would have been all right. If we die in seeing people come to know Jesus because we're on the path that he set us on, it's okay and I know that clashes with our Americanism ideas I do I do I get it but it's the truth he says you come and follow me you're gonna take up your cross and follow me and, and it may very well cost you everything but it's entirely worth it if somebody's ever told us that the gospel's not costly they've lied the gospel is it can potentially cost us everything but for the unsurpassing worth of being united with Jesus man totally worth it totally worth it in the grand scheme of things if If the value is way better than what we're giving up, it's not even really a sacrifice, it's grace. Second option if their faith would have been strong, this is crazy. We see it later in the book of Acts, that their their faith had grown to such a place that, that even their shadows healed people of disease. That's crazy, right? That is, and it's entirely possible. Like, I'm not saying you're going to walk out today and cast a shadow on somebody and they're going to be healed. But I'm telling you, there are things that are possible through the Spirit of God, through our faith, through our belief in Him, that we may not understand, we may not get. Last week, we talked about a mustard seed in the reference to the kingdom. Jesus talks about the mustard seed again, and He says, Look, if you just have the faith of this little bitty mustard seed, you can move a mountain in my name. If their faith had also been strong, you know what? They could have easily stood up in the bow of the boat, raised their hand, and said, In the name of Jesus, stop. And guess what? If it had been according to God's will, the winds and the waves, they could have stopped. Like that power resides in us. That dunamis, that dynamite, in Jesus' words, actually resides in us if we believe. But here's also the truth of this passage. What happens when our faith is flickering? This can be reality. And fear does set in we get to do exactly what the disciples did. Maybe with a slightly different attitude because we get to have a little bit of hindsight and look at their words and maybe their, their young, pious attitudes a little bit. But it's okay to say, Jesus, I need help. It's okay. You know, kind of in the words of like that servant who said, uh, I believe, but I need your help with my unbelief. That's Okay. It's not okay for us to live like that and stay there in that moment. We want to grow past that. But in that moment, it's okay just to say, Jesus, I need help. Because, you know, the heart of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God, the presence of God, it all declares that Jesus still rescues, that Jesus still wants to save, that Jesus still wants to propel us into his mission. And sometimes that means that we put a hand up and we're like, I can't do it. I need help. And Jesus hears. I can't say it'll be an immediate stop to the storm. I can't say that it will be a removal of all difficulty. I can't say that the scars that we've experienced from previous sin will go away. But we're sure that Jesus hears and that Jesus responds to his kids and he's grateful that he gets to So I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're bailing your boat right now. I don't know. But we got a couple options. Is our faith strong enough that we keep on bailing and keep on paddling? Or do we need to say, my faith is not that strong with Jesus. I just need help. I just need help. Same God. Same redemptive plan. Same transformative experience. Same transformative, like, man, just Jesus. This passage kind of wraps up with this beautiful picture that we see in the disciples. And after he spoke, it says, The wind ceased, There was great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, different kind of fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Very often, even though it may not be by design, but it may be by byproduct, in the moments when our faith is weak, And we don't believe, we don't remember all of those things that fear is making us forget when we stick our hand up and we're like, Jesus, I just need help. And he does. He reminds us of all those things that we've just forgotten in the moment. Because they looked at Jesus and they saw him as entirely different right there. They'd seen it before, but they needed to be reminded. Maybe in that moment when we, we raise our hand and say, I'm not capable. I'm dying. I'm drowning. I've forgotten so much, in a moment he can remind us that he's not normal, he's not safe, he's amazing, and he wants to rescue, he wants to save, but it requires us to speak. Because man, to steal from our series title, that is the Jesus we need. By all standards, that's the Jesus we need. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for even an example that we can learn from of disciples when they could have had faith that was bigger. When they could have seen the bigger picture, but they didn't. But God, you work through it anyway because you're a God who hears your kids. You're a God who wants to save. You're a God who wants to redeem and you choose to do it through us. God, I pray for those in our faith family right now that literally are in the middle of a storm. A storm of loss, a storm of, of health crisis, God. A storm of financial difficulty, a storm of, of, of losing uh, someone that they love, a storm of being faced with just unanswered questions. God, uh, I pray that A, that because of their faith in you, that first, God, I pray that they'd be able to remember all the ways that you've shown up before, the fact that you've said that you'll never leave them, uh, your previous promises, and and even, God, just your very heart. Maybe even start with that. If we just remember your heart, those other things, God, I, I believe the blanks will be filled in. God, I pray you call to memory all the ways that you love them, all the ways that you've showered them with grace and mercy, and remind us that you're faithful, even in the midst of scary things. And, God, for those who just can be admittedly in a weak place with their faith and the storms are still there God I pray they'd just cry out just to you and tell you that they need you, they need you they need you to rescue them, they, they need you to, to bring peace God they need you to shut off the wind just for a little while and God I thank you that you're a God who hears and a God who responds God thank you for being that God And thank you for Jesus, that through him we can know you, be known by you, and make you known. God, we love you. We thank you, and it's in your son's name we pray.